it was the hardest, most difficult, most dangerous continent that I traveled. A motorcyclist broke down on the side of the road, um, a female motorcyclist, uh, and a car pulled up. She was shot and they killed her and stole her from her. I always felt like I was on edge in Africa. You know, I was always looking over my shoulder. Lyndon Poskett talking about the last leg of his journey on his video series Races to Places, Africa. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Before we get going, I want to thank some sponsors that helped bring this episode of Adventure Rider Radio to you. Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. BMW Motorcycles, they've been doing it since 2002. That's Outfitting Adventure Riders, and they have got the full load of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door. MaxBMW.com. Get their e-rider newsletter. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Uh, my name is Lyndon Poskett, and I'm currently in the UK working my ass off. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Lyndon, welcome back once again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So last time we talked, you, you mentioned about Africa. Now, now I, I think what we should probably do is just to sort of do a little recap of, of what you've done. There's the, the film series that you did called Races to Places. When did that start? So I started Races to Places in 2014, in April 2014. And that pretty much continued mostly full-time, um, had a few breaks for various bits and pieces, but for five years and two months, I finished uh, in June 2019, so just a couple of months ago. And what were you doing with Races to Places? Uh, my aim was to travel around the world, every continent, and do an international cross-country race on every continent while I was traveling on the same bike wherever possible. Right, which included the Dakar at one point. 
Correct. Did uh, two Dakar rallies, 2017 and 2018. Uh, it wasn't intentional to do two, but uh, yeah, the, the first one, I planned to make a video about it and it took longer than I expected to get the video out. And I had this idea while I was making the video with the team that I could do a daily video series. So I decided to go back and do that. So, Isn't the Dakar like a huge thing, tons of money and all prep and all that sort of stuff? It's It's definitely tons of money. It's definitely a huge thing. Um, and it's definitely not easy. And uh, I'm happy that I did it and how I achieved it. And a lot of people, I think, expect me to go back and win the Malimoto class. I came second twice. Uh, but I'm really happy with everything that I did and the way that I did it and what I achieved. I, overall, I don't really don't expect to achieve anymore. I was really happy with what I did. We've had people on here before that have done the Dakar, like Christophe barrier who who got into uh, the fundraising aspects of it. We're, we're talking a big, big chunk of money. How did you fund two races to the Dakar? Yeah, um, well, three now. So the first one I did in 2013, um, and that one was funded probably like half by remortgaging my house and half by selling t-shirts and working and saving money and everything and that I can't remember what the first one cost me but probably around uh, I think about 80,000 pounds something like 100,000 pounds um and then in 2017 uh, I already had quite a big media following so I had an idea to make a movie about it and so I sold support packages to raise money uh, by offering the movie so like saying look guys if you get behind it and you do this uh, you will receive all of this product and in return i will give you the movie about the race which was actually going to cost a lot of money but anyway um so it's never a model that's going to make profit it's always a model about achieving the goal um and then in 2018 uh did the same again and uh, sold support packages to help fund the media aspect of the project which cost about sixty thousand pounds to do uh, to do the daily video series and then the rest of the cost of the dakar was funded by sponsors and private people helping it's, and it's myself kind of, as well it's kind of tough isn't it to, to raise the money like even when you're selling packages that's not something that people are normally successful with no, I mean, if you if you want to be successful with it, um, you've got to make it pretty much a full-time job. You've got to throw everything you've got into it. You can't expect to sell a few T-shirts and, you know, it's going to work. You've got to really put effort into it. And it's not just, it wasn't just me, it was other people involved as well, you know, sponsors and people helping with product and even so much packaging and shipping stuff. And it's a huge undertaking. And it's like everything, you know, nothing comes for free. If you want to do something and be successful, you've got to put the t time into it. And um, and it's the same with anything, with a business, you know. <laughs> but in a business, if you want it to be successful, you got to put the time into it. So while, you, while you're doing this and you're, you're traveling around, what was your route roughly? What, what did you, you, you say you went around the world, roughly? Yes, started from the UK and rode across to Eastern Russia. And then from there, I rode down through Southeast Asia, Indonesia, down to Australia all of Australia, circumnavigated Australia pretty much, and then New Zealand, the same there. And then I shipped to North America, and then rode from San Francisco up to the Arctic Circle, uh, and then from the Arctic Circle all the way back down through Central America into South America to the southern tip of South America to Ushuaia, and then back up to Santiago, Chile, and then I shipped my bike from there to Cape Town in Africa, and from South Africa in Cape Town, rode all the way back home. So 
crossed all six continents. Let's talk about that last leg of the trip, going through Africa. How were you feeling at that point in the trip? You've been on the road a long time. At that point, you, you'd even mentioned yourself, it had turned into a bit of a, a machine. But was that sort yeah. of weighing on you heavy as you started the Africa leg? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'd met my girlfriend, Camilla, who I met um, three years into the trip while I was in San Francisco. And... Um, you know, we'd gone so well, we'd been traveling a bit together. She'd allowed me to carry on doing my trip and we chatted a lot about, you know, what's left for Lyndon Poskett and what do you plan to get out of races to places and everything. And um, it was after I shipped the bike to Cape Town, I spent a lot more time with Camilla um, and we became closer and then it became even harder to go to Africa. So when I went to Africa... I really didn't feel like going to Africa. I had to rebuild the bike in Cape Town, which, to be honest, I wasn't looking forward to. Um, I've rebuilt and built a lot of bikes <laughs> over the last 10 years, and um, I, I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. Um, but I knew that Africa was going to be a great experience, and I knew that if I didn't complete Africa as part of my trip, Races to Places, then it wouldn't be complete. And when Camilla said to me, what do you need to do to complete your trip? And I said, I need to cross the continent of Africa and, and ride my bike back home to where I started. Um, and next question was, how long is it going to take you to do it? <laughs> um, and I thought, well, I could I could lie and say four months or six months, but that's not me. So I just said to her, I said, it's going to take me a year and I need a year to finish my trip, what I set out to do. And um, this is what, I'm, what I want to do. And she was fully supportive of it. And that's what I went and did. So. Um, but it was it was hard. It was uh, it was definitely hard going to Africa. Um, uh, hardest of all the you know after a short break after you ship your bike from continent to continent you have a month off or something. Um, this was definitely the hardest one to go to. You mentioned rebuilding the bike. Why did you have to rebuild it for Africa? Uh, it had um, 180,000 kilometers on it. Uh, it was using oil, single cylinder, it needed piston rings. I knew there was other things wrong with it that I needed to fix, just wear and tear after the mileage it had on it. Um, you know, I wanted to replace all the bearings and just make sure everything was 100% before traveling through what I knew was going to be probably the most difficult continent of all and also one of the most remote and also one of the one with the least resource. So in terms of finding KTM parts and things like that, I knew I needed to be prepared for it. So the best way to get prepared would be to rebuild my bike and then I knew it was right. So what was Africa like? Hmm. Africa was uh, was definitely different to all the other continents. Um, there's a famous saying that a lot of people told me before I went to Africa and that was that Africa is not for sissies. You know, like prepare yourself, it's not for sissies. Um, and after traveling through Africa, and I can absolutely say that that is 100% true. Like it was, it was the hardest, most, it was the hardest, most difficult, most dangerous, um, continent that I traveled on my races to places for sure. And, uh, lots of, lots of things went on in there. Uh, for sure. Africa was the most challenging continent. Yeah. In so many ways. What was difficult and how was it dangerous? Um, dangerous in terms of um, some places that there's there seems to be a distinct um, like lack of 
value not this is not a generalism this is very focused in certain areas uh like um a lack of value for life so they they there is certain there is certain people in certain places in africa that would think nothing to just shooting someone to take a cell phone for example and you when you're in those certain places you get a feeling that you're in the wrong place and you don't need to be there and that occasionally made me feel uncomfortable uh, when you stop at a stop sign and there's kind of shifty looking people around um you kind of want to go through it you know <laughs> you don't want to stop there um and there was quite a lot of situations like that in africa now I, quite the opposite to that what i can say is the hospitality and the people in the most in Africa, so 99.9% of the population of Africa that I met were absolutely fantastic, friendly, loving and caring, and give you all the hospitality like every other continent around the world. But there's definitely more of, there's definitely more of the danger elements in Africa than there were on the other continents. And that made me feel a bit more uneasy. And what about the difficulty portion of it? What made it so difficult? Um, the difficulty comes from um, a lot of the time the places that you choose to ride. So like if you're in a very remote place in Africa, there is there is absolutely nothing. Like in some places that I rode, it was like so remote. Like and And also in those places, there's dangerous animals, for example. So it adds another element to what is already what you're used to riding in remote places in you then add another element because there is lions in the area or, you know, something like that. So you, I always felt like I was on edge in Africa. You know, I was always looking over my shoulder to see if there's anything or anyone, you know, around. And, uh, and I always took that extra care to find somewhere out of sight when I was camping and all kinds of things that I didn't necessarily feel like I had to do. So South America, for example, I would just pitch my tent at the side of the road. I mean, nobody seemed to bother you wherever you were, you know, in South America. It's always advisable to hide out of sight. But honestly, I, I was in sight a lot of the time in South America. And I never felt threatened or endangered, endangered in any way. Uh, but I did in Africa. Um you know, like I said, I, I would hate for people to think that Africa is a no-go area because 99.9% of my time in Africa was absolutely fantastic. And it's completely different to any other continent. You cannot, it's hard to explain it, but the experiences that I had with the different cultures um, and the different people uh, and just the different um, architecture and everything about Africa was so special and so different uh, that it made it worth my while, you know, uh, even though I said it was the most difficult and most dangerous. It was definitely when I got through it and I got back to Europe, it was definitely the most rewarding because of it. <laughs> you mean when you arrived home, you felt good because you'd been through Africa? When I left Africa, <laughs> I just felt like I'd achieved something really big by riding through Africa. Well, yeah, and everybody says Africa's the real deal. And, and like you said, not for sissies, but I certainly hear everybody say it's, it's the real deal. But what, what kind of things happen? Like, like give us an example of a few things that happened to you that sort of illustrate the dangers or, or, or at least what you saw as the dangers in Africa. Not, not, not necessarily that happened to me, but happened to 
people in the same area as me at the same time I was there. So people being shot and killed in Johannesburg, right in the same, like two streets away from where I were, like security guards getting shot and killed, you know, um, people people having the windows knocked out at the, at the traffic light and shot and the car stolen. Like this is like normal in, in Johannesburg. It happens a lot. And people that live there will say that to you. Um, and when I was traveling through other places in Africa, also local people said, you know, it's just be careful. You know, really have your wits about you. And, you know, in, in Cape Town, you know, a motorcyclist broke down on the side of the road, um, a female motorcyclist, uh, and a car pulled up. She was shot and they killed her and stole her from her. And you would not get that on other continents. So it's, well, you probably would, but when I was in Africa, it suddenly became apparent that, hang on a minute, this is very different here, you know? Um, and it always meant that I was on edge all the time. Uh, and uh, that, for me, made it a more difficult continent, for sure. The bike that you're riding is done up and, and stickered up. When you went through Africa, mm-hmm. did it look the same as that with your Linden Posket racing on it? Maybe you can describe how your bike looks. Um, my bike is, yeah, my bike was uh, pretty unique because it was painted in Motorex colors. So it was like a teal green and has all race graphics on it and everything. Uh, but to be honest, not once did I feel um, that that made any difference to how I was traveling. You know, the, the local people, you know, the majority of them, they love seeing the foreigners come through and they want to come and get stickers and pens and everything that they can get from you. Um, and you know, that doesn't change anywhere you go in the world. And to them, a motorcycle with a load of stickers on or a plain motorcycle, it's a foreign motorcycle and they're just excited to see you. And, uh, I never, I never once felt that having my bike, uh, looking like it was all liveried up in stickers and everything made any difference at all. Um, a lot of people say it does, but to be honest, my, I've travelled around the whole world with it like that, and I've never felt any different. And um, and also, a lot of people said to me, "You've got a Union Jack on your helmet, you know, on the peak of your helmet. Do you not feel that that could put you in danger?" Well, I, I don't. I never saw anything that that was the case, you know. Um, no, and, and people were really excited to hear where you're from. So. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, the thought process of seeing something that's all done up that looks expensive, and you're mentioning about people, mm-hmm. you know, shooting somebody and stealing their stuff because it's expensive. That I think that goes mm-hmm. along with that thought process that if you look expensive and more so with your stickers on it, et yeah. cetera, that you might become more of a target. But you weren't mm-hmm. a target, obviously, if, if nothing major happened to you. Uh, I wouldn't say nothing major happened to me, but I won't give details about it here, but you have to find, get my book to read all about that. Um uh, there, there were some things that happened to me, um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was difficult. Africa. Did you spend any time in jail? No. Okay, so no. <laughs> so you avoided that with the authorities. Way. With the authorities, I never had any problems. Um, you know, the, Africa was the only continent that I went to. Actually, that's not true. South Africa as well, um, where the police would encourage you to pull a wheelie in front of them. I mean, that was really good for me because I like pulling wheelies. So. Um, to be able to pull wheelies past the police was uh, was quite refreshing for me in, in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> they think that's cool and they're happy to snap a shot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not Well, not necessarily all of Africa, but majority of Africa. Yeah. But Egypt, Egypt was, for me, um, when I got to Egypt, 
I just wanted to leave Africa because the authorities in Egypt really are making it difficult for solo travelers um, or overland travelers to travel through their country uh, and enjoy it. And after a week of Egypt, I said, I've had enough and I want to leave. This is ridiculous. Um, everywhere, everything you tried to do, they would stop you. And you can't just go and do it because they have roadblocks everywhere. And they call ahead and then say, hey, there's some guy on a green motorcycle come in that's not stopped at this stop and you need to stop him. And then they tell you you can't go any further and they escort you back to the city where you don't want to be because you want to be in a remote place. And they tell you you can't go in a remote place on your own. You need to go with a tour guide. And then you go try and find a tour guide and approval to go somewhere else. And they don't allow you to do that. Um, it's it's really difficult. And I, I found like it was restricting me from traveling how I wanted to travel in Egypt. And I didn't like that. You know, for me, I didn't feel like I could enjoy traveling in Egypt like I could enjoy traveling in all the other countries that I've traveled in the world. Did you get the feeling they just don't want tourists? That's the feeling I got. But in actual fact, when you talk to them, they, they want tourists, but they just go in the wrong way about it. Like, you know, they, they're stopping people going to like the, the black and white desert um, for fear of because people have been abducted there or there's been some like muggings or something like that. They stop. They just put a blanket stop to foreigners going there on their own without going in a guided tour. Well, not everybody wants to go on a guided tour. Like I, I would hate to go on a guided tour. It's the worst way I want to travel. I don't want to be escorted around the country. You know, I want to go and ride it and be free. Um, and I just felt like there was no way to travel Egypt the way I like tra to travel. And for that reason, I no longer wanted to travel there. Um, I did a few things um, just that I really wanted to do. Um, but to be honest, I was happy to leave. And uh, it wasn't something, it wasn't a place that I would go just to explore uh, because there's so much red tape stopping you from doing that. It just wasn't enjoyable. We're going to take a short break to thank a few sponsors that helped bring this episode to you today. But when we come back, we're going to start by talking about just how Lyndon did his filming, whether it's with a crew or by himself, and also some of the associated risks that go along with filming in some of these countries. A lot more coming up. Stay with us. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, starting with their ADV 1 and 2s, moving on down. They've got a peg for you, and if you have not tried one of theirs, you don't understand the difference that that contact will be between your boot and your peg. The control that you'll get, the added leverage that will give you more control out of those foot pegs. Drop by, have a look at what they've got. IMSproducts.com, built in the USA, a lifetime warranty. When you're talking with them, make sure you throw in there you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio imsproducts.com. Well, a mod that is well worth doing to your bike to uh, for many benefits, actually, is swapping out your incandescent headlight for an LED headlight. Cyclops Adventure Sports specializes in lighting for motorcycles. They've got plug-and-play LED bulbs that will uh, increase your available power and give you that instant on and off ability with the light. You know the difference between an LED and a regular light? The LED flashes on and flashes off. Boy, you click that high beam on, it demands attention. And that's really important when you're on a motorcycle. 
They've also got a, all kinds of auxiliary lights. They have um, Evo turn, sig- turn uh, signal light kits as well. And again, nothing better than that LED flash because a normal signal will go on and off, but an LED one really punches on and off. Check out what they've got at Cyclops Adventure Sports. Their website, cyclopsadventuresports.com. Make sure you mention Adventure Rider Radio when you talk to them. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. You're traveling by yourself. Yes. Yeah. So you don't you don't have a film crew or any, anybody running along with you. No. No. Everything's on my own. So yeah. you have to deal with all your paperwork and your border crossings and all that sort of stuff you're doing on your own while you're there. And then then what are you doing? You're you're filming yourself and then uploading the videos. Yeah, filming myself. Um, putting sequences together and then I have an editor that edits my series which then takes my voiceover my uh, everything that I film all the different clips that I film and pieces it together into the uh, episodes that people see on YouTube yeah so when when you're in Africa and maybe in Egypt as well what was it like to film yourself or, or is, was there any problems with that did you run into any sort of hiccups because you're there with the camera yeah, there's a lot of places that don't like using cameras. So I ended up having to do it discreetly. So especially things like border crossings and stuff. Um, I I put tape over the LED on my GoPro so you couldn't see it was recording and the screen and things. And then I would put it on top of my helmet and just casually put my helmet on the side so that it could capture what was going on without them knowing that I was filming and all kinds of things like that. I would... Uh, try and film things that they that because I wanted to share with people what it was actually like, not because I wanted to show them secret border crossings or anything like that. I just wanted to share with the public what it's like to go through some of these places. And I captured some really funny things. Like I remember on the border of Mozambique, um, there was some, lo- some guys, anybody that's seen my video episode from there will know what I'm talking about. But um, there were some young guys there trying to sell me condoms at the border and and I had the cameras running so I managed to capture it and it made a really funny feature because they were telling me how how good the girls were there and that I need to buy these condoms and everything it was, it was so funny and, and the fact that I captured it made a really good piece of video mm. um, and without filming it that that memory is with me only you know and to, to be able to share it with the world as with all my video series that's that's the one thing that's kept me going for five years traveling around the world is sharing it with the world and the comments and feedback and everything that I get from people. It's made me want to do more. Um, and that's why I'm doing more. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to do more. I'm definitely going to do more video series and I'm definitely going to travel new places in the world that I haven't done already. When you're at the border crossing, you're setting up your helmet like that, you know, you're doing something wrong. Are you not concerned about the, the consequences of getting found out? Yeah, but it's yes, but it's like the consequences of speeding on the highway. You know, you know, you know the consequences. You but you you try and get away with it. You know. Um, yeah, but speeding and, on the highway, you might get a ticket for that. That might land you in jail for an undetermined amount of time. Yeah, but they've got to prove it. You know, <laughs> and uh, and and half the time they they say, "Is the camera recording?" You say, "No," and then they leave it at that. And if they don't, then you can kind of fake it by saying take it out of its case and show them, look, it's, you open the back door and you say, oh, it's, look, the battery's flat. And you take the battery out and show them and it's not, but I mean, they just think you're telling the truth and you can get away with it. But it's happened many times, you know, you, you, you kind of have to try, uh, try your luck. Otherwise, 
otherwise you end up sharing the same stuff that everybody else shares. And um, I always try to show different things, you know, and uh, uh, the best one was when I put like my chesty cam on and I always just have it all taped up so you can't see it's recording and just, nah, it's turned off and you just keep going and, and you get so much cool footage that you would not normally have get. So, uh, yeah. Obviously, you can't get your camera out and put the tripod up and put the camera on it. That's a big no-no. But and get you riding into the border and getting off your exactly. bike. Exactly, and, and there's times that I have done that and uh, and I've been in trouble. But uh, the majority, there's a lot of times I've lost count how many times I've been asked to delete footage and delete photos. Um, and again, you can kind of fake that you've deleted them and try that. And if it doesn't work, then you just delete them. You know. Mm. Um, but yeah, you feel like you're doing something wrong and you are doing something wrong, but yeah, you try, you're trying to create something you unique. So you have to go out of the boundaries a little bit. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever get some concern with this sort of thing when you film at a border and then you put it up afterwards and you, you know, you can sort of chuckle about it because you've left and you got the footage. Do you ever get concerned about if you go back there and somehow yeah. that footage has been seen? Yeah. I mean, there's always that chance and I would, I'd never be dismissive of that. that there's always a chance to do of that. Um, but in a lot of instances, there's no signs or anything up telling you that you can't film there. And until they tell you, you don't know. You mm-hmm. know, There's certain things that I've filmed, which I've been told absolutely I couldn't film and I need to delete it. And I've deleted it because it was serious. You know, like if somebody says like, um, for example, if I was on one, one, I was on a ferry boat once, um, and they allowed me to go up onto the bridge and I filmed some stuff on the bridge and the pilot of the ferry said to me, I need to ask you very nicely that you delete that footage and don't use it on any social media at all because it's my job that's at risk. When that's the case, then obviously I'll respect that and it's deleted straight away. So I would always respect it. But if there's no signs and then somebody just tells me you can't film here and I stop filming and I don't film anymore after that, the stuff that I've already filmed, I will I will use. You know, I didn't know, and there's no science. So, um, quite a lot, quite often, especially through Africa, there was no signage to say you couldn't film. So mm-hmm. until you actually got told, then you know you can try and film. Yeah, we talked about that a little while ago on, on the show here. It might have been on Raw, but we were talking about um, the 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 thought process of when you film something like that. Could you be endangering somebody's? life, their career, whatever, um, as yeah. you're going in particular, when you're doing it in a clandestine way, um, yeah. you know, and which I think a lot of people do because I think it's probably an automatic reaction for most of us. If somebody stuffs a camera in your face, you go, Hey, you know, turn that off. It, it, it obviously yeah. makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I would never, if somebody said that to me, I would never say, no, I won't turn it off, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for sure not. And, you know, I've filmed, I've had situations where, um, actually filming has helped me. You know, um, I I was in a country in Africa, I can't remember where it was exactly, probably, I don't know, um, I'm trying to think where it would have been. Uh, it wasn't Botswana, but north of there. So anyway, I can't remember exactly, but um, I got stopped at a road crossing and, um, and I got pulled over because my turn signals weren't working. Well, it's not... A, it's a legal requirement if you've got turn signals that need to be working. Um, but his, his, my, mine were working, but I didn't have hazards, you know, when all four flash, mm, yeah. like on a modern motorcycle, you have hazard lights, but on mine, it's like vintage. It's like 15 years old, you know, uh, or 10 years old or whatever. Um, it doesn't have hazards. So he tried to give me a ticket for not having hazards. So 
there was no way I was getting away with it and he was going to take me to the police station. So I got my GoPro out and I turned away from him so he wasn't on the camera. And then I started to say to the camera, okay, here I am, wherever I was, uh, I'm, I'm just being issued a ticket for not having hazards on my bike. But my bike was never issued with hazards. And he knew exactly that what he was saying is he, he couldn't really give me a ticket for that because it's not really a ticketable offence. So right. when he saw that I was putting it on the video and there was a chance that somebody would actually know that you can't do that and then it would put him into question, he immediately revoked and let me go. Right. So it can work for you and it can work against you. And, you know, there's, all, there's always people going to say to me, yeah, you shouldn't do that, you know. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Or, uh, you know, what... What, you know, like I pull a wheelie on the on the public highway and I get people messaging me saying that was dangerous. You shouldn't put that on your social media. There's, you know, there's a lot of things that people see in different ways and I respect that people have different views on different things. I just share my adventures how I want to share it. I don't try to, you know, put anyone into danger. I don't try to, um, I don't intentionally want to get anyone into trouble. All I want to do is share the adventure as it happened. That's my only ever goal, you know, and, uh, and share with the world how I travel, traveled around the world. And, and that's what my series does. And there's a lot of things that didn't make the video series because it wasn't right to put it in there. And people will never know about that. So... <laughs> I guess the thing is, though, when you're when you're you know somebody who's putting out videos like this, for instance, and you have a lot of people looking mm. at them, you you're an influencer. You are influencing people, and there is a certain responsibility that comes with that, isn't there? And, and I guess it's you know everybody has different levels of how they want to. Um, That's right. How they want to police yeah. their their own uh, their own videos or or their audio, whatever it is they're putting out. But there is a certain responsibility there. There is, yeah, yeah, and and I've been criticised. I've been criticised many times, um, but it's by 0.01% of my followers, you know, um, that sometimes it may be seen that what I did was wrong. And a couple of things have actually been removed from episodes because I thought people had a valid point, you know. Mm. Uh, if there was something I did that I thought, actually, you have got a valid point there, that's not correct i will remove it you know and i've gone out of my way to do that um so it's not like i'm trying to be like you know the bad guy at school kind of thing you know i'm never doing that i'm always just trying to share adventures as they happen and uh, for sure i'll respect whatever anybody says to me um within reason because obviously you know if every every single tiny little complaint that i had i had to amend something it wouldn't wouldn't be work for me but you know it's it's not too bad. I don't. Uh, I share things as they happen, and um, some things I share don't share because I don't think it's feasible to share it. It might not reflect well on what people think of me, for example, uh, because not everybody would like that. You know, there's all kinds of things that you have to think about, and, and that's just the same for everybody in the world these days. You know, when you, especially when you're a public public figure and you're speaking publicly and things. So. Yeah, you, you get scrutinized much, much more than, exactly. than yep. other people. Yep. You, you said that 99.9% of Africa was fantastic. What was, yep. the, what was that 1.1% that wasn't? What countries? Uh, you know, 
all of the con- well, it's not true. There was a lot of countries that had a danger element to them, um, but some seemed a lot safer than others. So for me, Namibia seemed really safe. Like loved Namibia. Um, South Africa seemed really safe, apart from the cities. So like Cape Town and Johannesburg seemed a little bit more dangerous. Um, uh, but you know, I can't just say where that point zero one percent is or whatever. You know, it was uh, it was kind of scattered around Africa in various places. Are there places you wouldn't go back to, or is that just Africa in general? Uh, no, I'd definitely go back to Africa. Um, I would definitely go back to Africa, uh, despite some of the things that happened with me when I was there. I think a lot of the things, a lot of the things you read about and also see on the news, uh, this is something I talk about a lot in my talk shows that I do. You know, you, for example, the 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 poor lady that got shot, the motorcycle woman that was killed, you know, that's an isolated incident that, was probably wrong place, wrong time, uh, and it got made it to the news, and then everybody sees it. That wouldn't stop me traveling alone on a motorcycle in Cape Town because it happens all over the world. You know, we see it in the US. We see people get shot in the US a lot. You know, and um, there's there's gun crime everywhere, and there's stabbings all over the world. But certainly in in South Africa and in Africa as a whole, I think. Um, violent crime it, rate is a lot higher than other places in the world. And and for sure, like, um, if you research it a little bit, like rape, women being raped is massive in South Africa, something that probably people don't even realize that goes on in South Africa. It's, uh, um, it is quite significantly different to a lot of places that I've traveled, not just South Africa, but a lot of African countries. What did you do or what, what did you find yourself doing sort of to um, maybe put yourself more on guard, protect yourself, make sure that you didn't fall victim to some of the things that are going on around you as you travel through Africa? Uh, just um, just being extra vigilant, have your wits about you, not stopping, always stopping outside of zones where there's a lot of people, you know. Uh, I, d- I generally, you know, whereas in, in, for example, North America, South America, Asia, I would just ride into a city and stop and people would come and talk to me. I had no problem with that, but uh, I felt more uncomfortable doing that. So I would always stop outside of a town, find out where I was going to go, go there, put my bike out of sight and stay there, um, which, you know, I didn't feel the need to do that in other places around the world. So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly terrible like you don't i don't want to make out that it was like oh i didn't enjoy traveling there because that's not true i loved it um but you just have to be extra vigilant and uh, keep an eye on people around you and um what i always say is you can usually tell the shady characters <laughs> you say you kind of get a get to understand what they're acting like and and how they are and you don't want to be there and you soon move yourself out of that situation and that that's a, certainly a tip for those who are interested in, in going to Africa. But would you have a tip or an overall statement or some tips for someone that's interested or considering going to ride in Africa? And, and we're talking the whole continent. I mean, my advice would be to absolutely go and do it because like you will, if you, even if you've ridden everywhere else in the world, you are in for a real treat. There is so many different things to see from wildlife to scenery, um, 
the places, the people, the cultures, the tribes, the, you know, there's so much to see and such a wide variety that it really is a special continent to travel on. Um, and any, everybody I've spoken to that's been to Africa has sort of, uh, agreed with my thoughts on Africa is that it really is a special place and it's something that you should experience if you're into travel um, at some point in your life. Um, I think you just have to be extra careful, um, have your wits about you wherever you travel um, and just be careful not to go into certain areas. Though, for example, in Johannesburg, there is an area of the city you just do not go. Like there's, there's certain areas you do not go alone. Um, and even the local people would tell you not to go into this part of the city. Um, so, and that's the same everywhere. You speak to the local people. If you meet a local person that's helpful and friendly, you ask them, is it okay to go here and eat there tonight? Do you think, is it safe? Yeah, no, it's no problem. You have no problem tonight, you know, uh, and you get a feel for it from the local people. You're back home now. You're working on yep. an, another project or other projects. Are, are, you, are these new projects that you're, you're going to do? Does it involve travel? Are you still a traveler? I am, yeah. Um, 2020, we'll see a number of new projects from me um, that I'm working on at the moment. Uh, I'm busy at the moment trying to get my business back into shape um, after being away for so long and uh, at the same time planning new projects. So I'm not in a position to release anything just yet, but in the next probably month to six weeks, we're going to see the launch of one of the, well, is going to be the biggest project that I've done to date and uh, hopefully a very exciting one for everyone to follow. And also I'm working on some adventure projects in 2020 um, and some other racing projects. So yeah, lots of, uh, I don't plan on races to places ending anytime soon, and but it's not going, I'm not going to continue to travel permanently like I have been doing for the last five years. It's going to be shorter trips. I've got a couple of one month adventures planned uh, places that I haven't been before uh, that I've always wanted to go and uh, I'm going to do it a little bit different we're going to shake it up a little bit going forwards and you've got one adventure you haven't mentioned at all here uh, you sort of alluded to was uh, you've got a wedding coming up oh yeah I do <laughs> 2020 uh, we haven't we haven't set a date yet but we've talked about it a lot um, and uh, at some point in 2020 uh, I'm going to get married and uh, we are currently contemplating where we're going to settle down and uh, yeah it's uh, a lot going on as well as new projects and plans for adventure um, but there's one thing for sure like uh, Camilla my now fiance is a very adventurous person and she loves riding motorcycles too and um, even the you know my my life is changing a lot with me and Camilla. Uh, we both have the same opinion that this doesn't need to change our adventurous lifestyles that we've both got. And uh, we should definitely try and keep going with that. So. Well, congratulations to the both of you on the, on the coming marriage and, and good luck with your wedding and, and good luck with your, your future projects. We'll be watching and we will put a link in the show notes, of course, to your website so people can follow and see what you're doing. Thanks very much, Lyndon. Thank you. Thanks very much. And everybody can uh, kind of follow me on my media and I'll release everything. As soon as I release anything, that's the first place it will be. So, um, you know, Instagram and Facebook typically.
That was Lyndon Poskett. And of course, we're going to have a link to his site in the show notes for this episode, as always. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of adventure rider radio and of course we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and to you for listening thank you very much hey if you're not already supporting the show we certainly need your support drop by our website adventureriderradio.com click on the support button anything ten dollars or more gets you a sticker sent back at you for your pannier toolbox wherever you want to put it anything fifty dollars or more gets you a mention of raw and of course everything in between we also have patreon which is a, a monthly thing that you sign up for to help support the show monthly we would love to and we need to get you on there because it's built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. Also, while you're at the website, we have another show called ARR Raw. Make sure you drop by and check that out. It's a separate show. You need to subscribe separately. All of our episodes are available on our website. There's quite a bit there to see. Drop by and check it out. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. My name is Colin Evans, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 